Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. We've been having these conversations in the time of a pandemic, and we've been talking to chefs and restaurateurs and others in the community who have adjusted to that in innovative and creative ways to make a difference in the community. Can't think of anybody better to talk to about this topic than Daniel Hoom, the chef and owner of 11 Madison Park and a longtime champion and supporter of Share Our Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Where are you calling from as we talk? I'm sitting in the empty dining room of 11 Madison Park that's become my office. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming that's a feeling uh, that you've unfortunately become used to these past few months, but it must be eerie, nevertheless, to be in an empty 11 Madison Park. It's wild because, um, you know, before when we talked about closing, we were closed for certain holidays a year. And I know how big these decisions are just financially, you know, to, to be closed. And the fact that we've been closed for the past like four and a half months, it's, it's really unreal and unfortunately has become the new reality. And how many people were affected in terms of the folks that worked for you, Daniel? 11 Madison Park alone had 280 employees, uh, which of them, most of them, unfortunately, we had to furlough. And thankfully, uh, with the work we're doing right now, we're able to hire, we were able to rehire a percentage of that, but it's a, it's a small percentage. And you also have a restaurant in um, London? Yeah, we have a Davis and Brooke, uh, which is a restaurant that we opened last fall at the Claridge's Hotel in London. Unfortunately, that restaurant is closed as well. Um, you know, I think uh, London and New York, both cities got hit pretty hard with this. And so, um, yeah, it's a pretty tough situation right now. Chef, you reached out to me, I don't know, I'm going to say maybe six or eight weeks ago, and we had a phone call. And for me, it was really one of the more moving and interesting uh, conversations I've had during this whole time, because you talked really passionately and compellingly about what the experience of this pandemic in New York City had meant for you and how you had ended up in a place where you, I think you said something to the effect of, I don't want to feed only the elite. I want to feed everybody that needs to be fed. And this was a result of some really great work you're doing with an organization called uh, Rethink Food. You talked about how you'd, you know, you'd basically, as we know, won every award that there is to win, whether it's a James Beard Award or the best restaurant in the world, but it wasn't enough for you. Talk a little bit about just kind of the the, the path you've been on since. No, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I feel fortunate for, for many reasons, um, but, um, you know, I, I, I achieved so much in my professional career, more than I ever thought I, I even could. And, and this is critical success. This is financial success. And that before I was 40 years old. And so all of a sudden, I felt a little bit... Um, lost in a way, especially when we became the best restaurant in the world. I felt like, you know, it was sort of like this. I knew intellectually that these awards are just, you know, 
ways to motivate myself and ways to motivate my team. And, uh, you know, I, I was a professional cyclist before all of this. So whenever there was a ranking, that was very easy for me to understand. <laughs> and it's easy for the team to understand. And, and, and with the 50 best restaurants in the world, it was great because there was, it came out every year and we we're moving slowly up that list. But the moment we became number one, in a weird way, it, it kind of felt empty a little bit, to be honest. It wasn't all I hoped for. And, and now the next day I went to work and I'm like, okay, what am I going to tell the staff now? What, what, what is our objective now? And at 40 years old, to, the idea of doing this like 30 more years and just doing the same thing over and over again wasn't satisfying. So... I think for me, it was clear that, you know, somehow it needs to have a higher purpose to all of this. And I, I've, you know, I've been involved with you guys. I've been involved with other, with other organizations to give back. I've been on the board of Rethink from the beginning on. Um, so I kind of knew to go down that path, but I, I really, for me, it took the, the crisis it, it took the pandemic to really fully open open my eyes and and I feel a little bit guilty that it took me that long or it took the pandemic um, to to really get me to fully understand you know our responsibility also you know the power of food like I it always bothered me. It always bothered me how expensive it was to eat at 11 Madison Park, and only a few people can experience it. Say, say how expensive it is, Chef, just for, for those who don't know. It's $500 a person to eat here. But at the same time, you know, and, and that's the beauty about food. Food can be so many different things. And, and if food can be an art form, an, uh, a performance almost, like coming to 11 Madison Park, is like going to see a Broadway show. And for me as an artist and as a chef, to work in this way, work in this beautiful space, work with a world-class team, work with the best ingredients, all of it, that is my passion and I love is very dear to my heart. And, and I don't wanna you know, switch out one for the other. But there has to be another side. So if it can't be an art form, and especially during this pandemic, I'm not so interested in the business part of this industry. Like, I'm not, it, it doesn't excite me to just have a restaurant because it's a way to make money. I'm interested to make an impact. And if I can't make the impact on the 11 Madison Park level, then I feel like I just want to feed people, people who have no food. And it's unacceptable. And you, you've been an inspiration to me for a long time. And as I've gotten more to understand what this world is and understand what you've been doing for the past, I don't know, 25 years, or as I understand, and, and you've dedicated your life towards ending hunger in this country um that's that's just unbelievable and 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 i mean all of you uh to that to that work and and that's why i called you 
because I was like, okay, there's probably no one in this country who knows more about this issue than you. And I want to learn from you and I want to join your effort in any way I can. Well, you know, you've, you've always been a part of this really from the beginning. And I, I so appreciate your, your very kind words. You, you've, you've said so much here that, you know, to kind of unpack. So, you know, let's just go back. I was interested when you said you'd the top 50 restaurants in the world and then the, the best restaurant in the world. And you said, I felt a little bit lost. I felt a little lost. What, what did that feeling, what, what was that like? Did it mean that you uh, weren't sure you, you knew what you wanted to do when you got to the restaurant? You didn't know what you wanted to do with your, uh, your weekend? That, what was that lost feeling like for you? I mean, honestly, like there was a pretty, like there was a minute where I fell pretty into kind of a a hole of just waking up in the morning and thinking about, okay, now I'm going to do this again. Like, you know, I just didn't even know what, what am I doing it for anymore? And of course I love the cooking, but even that I got to do less and less and less because, you know, I, I think in the last 10 years, and, and I think this pandemic is a correction on many things, but, but in our world, you know, when I started cooking, cooking was just a craft. That was like just learning a craft, and I happened to like cooking, and that's why I learned it. I, I never knew that cooking could open the doors that it has, and I'm grateful for it. But then on the other hand, it, it, it went too far where you know, chefs became rock stars. We were traveling around the world. The red carpet was laid out for us anywhere we went. And we weren't really in our kitchens that much anymore. And it started to be kind of like a circus. And so um, I, I, I think well, we became brands. And of course, we benefited from that in many ways. And I'm grateful for it. But almost losing control a little bit of your own destiny, like, you know, brands would want to be aligned with you, you know, events would want to have you come to speak. And, and often it was to, you know, someone else's benefits or it, it didn't have like a really deep meaning. It was sort of like this advertising machine almost. So it, it, it's like the difference between brand management, right? Your focus becomes brand management instead of your passion, which is creativity and art and food. A hundred percent. And so for me, like in this pandemic, I mean, the first, I mean, I just, I, I don't even think this was like a genius move. I just didn't know. I, I, I just did what I knew how to do. And, and when, when every restaurant was shut down and I saw people, wouldn't get meals more than ever. It went from like 1 million of food insecure people in New York City to 2 million within weeks. And the soup kitchens are shutting down. So I was like, well, I do have a kitchen and I have the connections to all the farmers. So so I just, and, and the connection to Rethink, who can help me with this. And, and so it was just a very, it felt like a very obvious thing to do. You basically opened a commissary, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We rehired 20 chefs through Rethink. We talked to the farmers, you know, because everyone was sitting on food too. That's what's so devastating. It's not like 
we're not in a place where there isn't enough food. And, and so through this work, I'm realizing, and you know this much more than I do, but a lot of problems in this country is because we're not communicating. We're just not communicating properly. And, and I guess, you know, th there are things in place that, that are so antiquated, which are in the way, but, but it's a lot about miscommunication. And because there is enough food, like where, when the pandemic hit, food was rotten left and right. And then, but the fee people who needed the meal, you know, rised. So it just didn't make any sense. But then I also realized that the chefs are really a central part in that. And you have realized that a long time ago as well. But the, 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 the chefs control a lot of that communication because I think the chefs are in the center of, you know, talking to the farmers, but then talking also to the consumer. The, the, the chef is really in the middle of all of this. And, and so... As we're producing these meals, I'm realizing that every chef, that's what we do. We know how to create delicious, inexpensive meals. And so if we could just do that all the time and not just during a crisis, I believe that chefs and restaurants can end hunger in the country. I don't think it's going to be the soup kitchens of the world. I think restaurants can play an integral part uh, to solve this issue. So let's talk about Rethink Food. It's a very important organization playing a critical role right now for chefs and for people who are suffering from hunger. How does Rethink work? How did you get involved? So Rethink was started by Matt Choswiak and Winston Chow. And the two of them are the founders and, and Matt was one of our chefs. Like And he started the organization three years ago. And when he was working here in the kitchen, he saw, oh, wow, there's, there's obviously waste. We pride ourselves not to have a lot of waste, but there just is, even when you try really hard. And, and waste could mean like, you know, there's a broccoli dish on the menu and there are stems of broccolis for the next three months that are being unused. So he's like, what if I open a commissary kitchen and, and if I have a communication with the chefs from different restaurants ahead of time, and if I know what waste products I'm going to receive, I can create meals with that in mind. And so he started, and I don't know exactly how many meals they were able to ramp up to, but it was sizable. He partnered with a lot of different restaurants around the city, picked up food, cooked these meals, delivered them to various places like homeless shelters, community kitchens, churches. It, it kind of, what, what I liked, what they did really well, I'm realizing now, I think is that they were always very aware that going into all these different neighborhoods that they wanted to support the infrastructure that was already in place. And it's different in every neighborhood, how food gets distributed. And so they, they built some pretty incredible relationships because, you know, and I've been now, you know, I've been all over New York in these last few months and, and I was unaware of, of 
the New York that's much bigger than the New York I know. And, you know, when you go to these neighborhoods like Brownsville, Brooklyn, East New York, the Bronx, Queens, Long Island, Harlem, parts of Harlem, um, you know, you go over the bridge, Newark, all these, I mean, it is poor. It is really poor. People are struggling. And we live here and, you know, and we're, we're unaware of it, that we live the lives we live. And there are people just less than a half a mile away who are food insecure. It's unacceptable. So he did an amazing job at starting that. But as I, and then when the pandemic hit, they're not getting any food from restaurants. So then we said, okay, the restaurants should produce the meals. Well, that's what I thought. And then as I'm doing it, I thought, I, I realized how easy it was. We are doing 5,000 meals a day now out of 11 Madison Park. We, we couldn't do that during business hours when we're open, but we could easily do 500. I, mean, I, I realized how it wasn't hard. Chef, you're saying you could do 500 in addition to serving your your customers. That's right. Wow. And and currently you're doing 5,000 a day, every day. Every day, 5,000 meals. And where do those where do those meals go? So they go to a lot of different places. You know, they go like in Harlem we're working with a church. In the Bronx, we're actually working with a restaurant called La Morada that is a very important sort of hub in that community. And they have lists and lists of people who need meals. We are working with some community kitchens that are shutting down, but have to, that are shut down, but have the infrastructure to deliver. And uh, so it just kind of like, for us, it's important that wherever we go, that it's gonna be something reliable. We don't wanna go in and just provide meals for four weeks and then leave. Um, we are really interested in, Rethink is not a organization for emergency. It's really an, an organization that has the mission to solve hunger. And um, me personally, the, the, the pandemic made me, uh, opened my eyes, um, but, but I'm really interested in the long-term uh, goal here. And so, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm thinking of the, um, the two worlds that you uh, have, have lived in um, this world of 11 Madison park, where there's probably nights where you're coming out of the kitchen and you're meeting diners and everybody's dressed their best and they're paying $500 a plate. And then here you are in Harlem and the Bronx, and this is survival for the people that you're, that you're cooking for. But you know, when I hand out some of these meals and, you know, you make connections and you get to know some of these people and, and just seeing the reaction, even though it is survival, but food is so beautiful and it touches people and, and it touches, it touches them. And, and when, when they say, oh my God, this is like the best food I've ever had, this is maybe the proudest chapter of, of my career this far. Those moments, you, you, you just, 
it, it's it's an interesting work. In the beginning, you you start doing it because you really you want to help and you want to give back. But then, as you go down that path, it becomes like this really beautiful work where you make this really beautiful connections, and so it's uh, all of a sudden it's like. You, you, I, I couldn't see myself stopping it. It's like, and and you know, there's a lot of issues that obviously are connected. It's 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 education, it's inequality on many levels. It's it's food insecurity. It's how people like the farming, how people are even get to the food. I mean, I've seen people where we give out boxes of food uh, with like perfectly great ingredients. Like it could have an apple in it. It could have chocolate bar it could have celery it could have and and you see people uh taking the boxes and and taking the celery and just throw it out in the trash because people don't know what to do with it and so there there's a, a large amount of education that needs to happen too but it's 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 beautiful and and what's beautiful is that in all these neighborhoods where there i you know there's it seems to be there's so little hope um, but you meet these angels, you meet these angels of people everywhere and who, ha- who are positive, who are inspiring, who are there to make a difference in their communities. And, and that's just so beautiful. And, and um, I've, I've, I feel I've been given a tremendous gift during this pandemic to, to give what I've been doing for a long time to give it a higher meaning and, and a, a purpose. And it feels like, I guess it feels like it's not transactional, that there's just more of a relationship involved than there, there could be at any restaurant. There's just more of an authentic relationship. In a way, restaurants were always, you know, here to serve their communities. And I think we we kind of lost track a little bit of that. I mean, 11 Madison Park, there were people who came to New York just to eat at 11 Madison Park. They traveled right. to New York City to eat at 11 Imagine that. It's like... Destination restaurant, right? Destination restaurant. And so, uh, in a way, you know, we we have to do more for for our own community. That's what a restaurant is based on. And we lost track. Uh, chef, you're in a unique position because you're not only a great chef with famous restaurant behind you, but it's given you a platform to influence other chefs, probably particularly young chefs. And I'm thinking of chefs who haven't had the the seasoning, the maturity, the experience that you've had to get to the place where you are today. Are there ways that you can be involved? I, I know you're a mentor to many. How are you thinking about your role in not just feeding people as important as that is across New York City, but in developing this kind of cadre, this core of of chefs who can follow in your footsteps? Yeah. I mean, it's a role that, that, that it's very important for me. And I, I think also, you know, at the very, like 11 Madison Park is a, it's a very fine dining restaurant, but I believe there, I believe it has a cultural importance you know i i think like all art forms have and from one of my roles i see that a, a fine dining restaurant isn't a temple 
but it's a cultural meeting place. And, and, and my role is to make sure that it's not, you know, pretentious and it's not stuffy and it's, you know, it's, it's also opening the doors to, to a younger audience and, and to a, uh, you know, an audience from, from anywhere. The price of course is, is one place where, where that's tough, but you know, when you go see a Broadway show, it's expensive when you, you know, there, there are things and, but, but our role, so that's, that's one part of my role. So now if it's, so, so I want to be as welcoming and unpretentious as possible for the guests, but then I have a responsibility for the people who work here, because I think there's another issue that part of it, it's like culinary schools, which they offer some pretty amazing, you know, learning opportunities, but it, it, it really only offers these opportunities for people who grow up, you know, with wealthy parents and they can afford like, I don't know, $70,000 a year, you know, in, in fees. And, and so, and, and in our industry where after school, is actually where the real learning starts. And in those jobs, you know, these jobs are paid like minimum wage. So if you come out of those schools with $200,000 of student death, loan death, then you're set up for failure. You can't succeed. And so I think we, my responsibility is also say, I never went to culinary schools. You learn this profession hands-on so I'm thinking of 11 Madison Park as well. It has to be almost like a university. It, it, it has to be a place where people come uh, to, to learn. And, and especially the underprivileged neighborhoods. I think our industry is, is, is like kind of incredible for, you know, late bloomers, people who are not given, you know, the chances that, that, that others have. I think in this industry, it's really possible to create a beautiful career. And I don't think it's really known. And the culinary schools who charge that kind of money to try to be like an Ivy League school, they're standing in the way of that. So my role is to, to go into these neighborhoods and to say, hey, and, and you know, this is not brain surgery. Like, if you find a person who is, is passionate and loves to work and, you know, shows up on time, it doesn't need much more than that. And, and it's a beautiful thing. I, when I look at my own life, what cooking has given me, I've, I've learned everything I know through the lens of food different languages, different cultures, the amazing people I've, I've met, all through the lens of food. I left, I didn't even finish high school. So that's part of my role as well. And then I think now, if we really think about any luxury brand, and 11 Madison Park is a luxury brand, which allows me to do what I love as well. So I just feel like every, if you want to be a luxury brand going into the future, 
you need a bigger object you need a bigger purpose and and so for me now what i what i would love to see and what we're working on is that there will be rethink certified restaurants so where through the rethink organization we we raise money and we can go to and this is not about fancy restaurants it's actually every restaurant every restaurant can participate and if we can go to a small restaurant and say hey if you're able to produce 200 meals every day we'll buy them from you at like five or six dollars every day and we'll do that every day and and you can add a thousand dollars to your revenue every day and that will actually help you pay all the fixed costs that we already have you know of, of mostly rent and, and and our employees as well uh, and then i think we have a win-win situation so the the model for me it's like i've been doing recipes you know I, i've been sharing my recipes through various books and but now the the real rest the, the recipe i want to really share with the world is the recipe of doing what we're doing, but also feeding the people in need under one roof and, and it being not only good to solve a problem, but also being good for the businesses. Because I think that's the only way we're going to get to the masses of, of really people signing up for this. Well, I, I love what you just said, and I'm just going to repeat one part of it. If you want to be a luxury brand in the future, you need a bigger purpose. I think that's such an important point. And I was going to ask you, and you just partially answered it, there's been so much speculation about what the restaurant industry of the future will look like. You've just defined a different vision for what the restaurant industry of the future could look like, not in ways that most people are thinking in terms of you know dividers and social distancing and what's on the menu, but the very purpose of the restaurant itself. Absolutely. And you know, like we all have to be we all have to be open and honest as well because what's in it when we talk and we you know we have some ideas of, of maybe even opening a restaurant that's that's sort of going to serve as a model of, of what it could look like because 11 madison park is is a little bit of an outlier and it's hard for this restaurant to be a model for others because a lot of people would think like, oh, 11 Madison Park does it. That means we can't do it, right? It's just, you know, the reputation we have and the space we have, and it's very unusual and very special. But I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in opening a restaurant that, that is, is a community restaurant, but has delicious food, a restaurant that's cool and you want to be, and, the, you know, the, the food is delicious and creative and all of it, and there's cool people and cool music. and But at the same time, it, it gives back. And so when, when we have these conversations, it, I think it's, you have to really look in the mirror and say, you know, every, we all want to get something out of it, right? It, no, no, one, no one is like completely selfless. And, and for, for, for me, it's exactly that point. It's just like, I, I don't believe that we can continue the way we have done things. And, you know, if, if we want to continue the way we've done things, I believe 
in 10 years from now, five years from now, maybe already next year, it'll be irrelevant and, and it will be empty. So f for me, I want to solve a problem, but I also see the, the benefit to our industry, how, how that's perceived and that's how it's a beautiful thing. So I'm totally also aware of that, that I, that I believe it's, it's a necessities for restaurants and brands to change and to go into the future. It's such an exciting vision. And I have a feeling that if you open such a restaurant, it will be cool. I don't think we have to worry about that. <laughs> Daniel, I know we need to wrap up. How do you manage stress, anxiety, health, work, life, all of this during a pandemic? Yeah, what you've just described over the last 30 minutes is an unbelievable level of productivity, but also combined with uh, you know thoughtfulness and an introspection that is pretty unusual. How do you how do you keep yourself in a healthy place? I told you I, I was a professional cyclist before I started cooking and and luckily I was I was able not always in the last twenty five years, but I, I was able to keep it with with me. So I I have a rule where every day I I'm active for one hour. And but this could be it, and, and today it's beautiful because I, I don't need to be excellent in one thing. I can just do the things, you know, that, that feel good. And it could be like an hour of yoga practice. It could be an hour run in the park. It could be, you know, I, I go boxing sometimes. It could be uh, a little bike ride. So, so I just try to be active. I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning, which I do for the most part but um yeah you know you you need to know like i'm sure you know that but you you need to know the things that feed you and and the things that that make the world go around for you and and for me i i feel so grateful that i have this outlet and and uh, one thing and and this is a little bit more for the mind but you know all my most of my friends are are artists painters or or people in sculptures or uh, even musicians. But for me now, I was so in it with, with what this pandemic is and, and reacting to it and sort of like it was like an emergency situation for so long. But actually five days ago, I, I said, um, August, beginning of August, I said, you know, now... Let me kind of let that kind of shed away. Like I, I was like, I, I want to like now start to think about the future much more and, and stop acting in this emergency sort of way. So actually, to, and, and in order to do that, I, I, I thought I have a notebook, a drawing book. It has 60 pages. And I said, you know, I'm going to do 60 drawings every day. I'm going to do a different drawing and just sort of to get my mind in a different place and starting to be creative again. And, and, and I think I, I highly recommend, um, you know, for people who are in an unusual situation right now and, and maybe have a little bit more time on their hands to, to pick up um, something that they maybe always thought they, they would love to do, but never really did. So for me, even after five days of doing the drawings, 
it, it's it's already kind of changing the way I, I, I see things. Are you drawing, uh, is it like still life or from life or abstract or? So far it's all been abstract. Yeah. Okay. So here, uh, I'm going to challenge you, Chef, because I, I draw a little bit every day, mostly abstract. And I'm going to send you one of mine and uh, I'll send it to 11 Madison Park. And if you're so inspired, maybe you can send me one of yours. And I'll send you mine that I did this morning. I would love that. And actually, my kids live in Chicago and I, I told them about it and they said, oh, we want to do it too. So we, we kind of say, you know, every day we were like, okay, this is mine for today. And it's nice. <laughs> well, and I'm so glad to hear that it's abstract because sometimes I feel like I'm not really drawing. If it's all, all mine are abstract and sometimes I feel like I'm not really drawing if it's not a little bit more representational. But anyhow, that, that's what I do. Let me tell you one thing, sort of like a cool little information that I thought was, was cool and I was surprised by, but I went to go see a Mondrian retrospective in Paris like two years ago. And, you know, Mondrian painted early on, he, he would paint like flowers and, and buildings and like, you, you don't recognize it. You, you're like, oh, this is Mondrian? No. But he was just searching. He was searching, you know, for, for his thing. And it's it's a little bit there are like four artists that could be been the ones who did the first abstract painting people are debating it and and some artists even back paint backdated some of their paintings but it was 1914 when the first abstract painting was made before 1914 there was the idea of abs an abstract painting did not exist. It was. It's kind of fascinating, no? Yeah, I didn't realize that. And t today, today, my kids, who are you know eight and nine years old, they 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 draw abstract things all the time. But it, 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 this is this idea of an abstract painting is only a hundred years old. Yeah, that's so interesting because I'm attracted to the paintings of Paul Klee and. You know, if you go back and just like you were saying, if you look at his earlier work, they're not abstract, they're representational. And he, you know, evolved to abstract. So really interesting. Chef, thank you so much for the work you're doing. I want to remind you that one of the things the pandemic interrupted was the efforts of our producer, Woody, and I to recruit you for our uh, Chef Cycle bike ride, which I know we had talked about. And at the time, it just didn't work. And of course, we had to put that ride on hold, but it'll come back someday. And I have a uh, ambition that you and I, I, I wouldn't be riding with you. I'd be riding way behind you. But I hope someday that we'll get to do that together. And it's raised a lot of money for our, our No Kid Hungry efforts. Uh, it's incredible. I would love to be part of it. And I, I would love to, um, you know, keep the conversation and, and find ways to, to, to make our efforts, you know, come together and be stronger for it. Yeah, let's keep talking about that. We've made grants of $25 million in the last 10 weeks to schools all around the country so that they can re reconfigure the way they feed kids. And in the next 10 weeks, as schools come back, if they come back or however they come back in whatever hybrid fashion, We'll probably grant out another thirty-five million. So as 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 you see opportunities and as we see opportunities to do some things together, let's keep talking about how we can be mutually supportive. I would love that. I would love. That'd be great. Yeah, such an honor to have you on, Chef. Just an amazing work that you're doing. Everybody knows Eleven Madison Park. I hope everybody will come to know Rethink Food. Such an important organization. I know you've been part of from the beginning. 
So it's been a, just a real privilege to speak with you, Chef Daniel Holm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Likewise. And please remember to invest in the work of Rethink and the No Kid Hungry campaign. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. You can rate us, rank us, find us online at adpassionandstir.com. Thanks to our producer, Paul Whittle, and the team at District Productive and the entire staff of Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. I'm Billy Shore. Thanks for listening. 